Good morning, Life Center Church. It's so good to be with you. I have a word that's been burning on my heart. I'm so excited to share it with you this morning. This is something that's been burning on me even since the beginning of COVID-19. And if you're like me, you really want to know, God, what are you doing in this hour? I want to discern and understand what is the Lord saying and doing. We have the pandemic still going on. We've got the racial tensions in our nation. There's just division all over the place. God, what are you saying? What are you doing? I really believe today that I have something for you, that a tool that's going to help you see clearly in this hour, that's going to help you see just even above all the craziness that's happening. We want to be at a higher level. We want to tune into what the Lord is saying and doing. And today, I, the tool that I have for you, I'm telling you, this is going to help you see beyond the clutter. It's going to take blinders off and it's going to open your eyes to what God is doing in this hour. And it's actually very simple. It's a simple tool and it's called the posture of humility. That's right, the posture of humility. So in this hour, I believe pride is raging and the enemy is using it to just distort what we see and how we think. And, and I'll give you an example of how I experienced it in my own life. So during uh, the beginning of COVID-19, you know, New York was the epicenter. Uh, I personally was going down to Virginia to see my family. My, my daughters and my wife were down there and I'm hurrying down there and I have these New York City license plates and I'm going through these towns and I'm starting to feel a bit nervous because New York is the epicenter at that time of the COVID crisis. And I know people are not excited to see New York plates in any of these communities. And all of a sudden, where before I would get so much um, joy out of telling people I'm from New York, this is what I'm doing. Um, now there's a there's trepidation, like I don't want to share this with them because I'm kind of like a leper. They, they don't want me to be here. And the Lord began in that moment to challenge pride in my heart, pride about where I live. And there's a great thing about, you know, there's, there's one thing about just enjoying where you live and celebrating it and seeing all the great things about it. But pride really means there's a sense of superiority that you have regarding something. And in my case, there's a superiority about living in New York. Oh, I, I know so much. I'm around. It's so diverse. And we have so much, you know, this vast knowledge in New York City. And the Lord began to challenge that in me through this season. I realized I had pr a prideful heart. And I had, I said, Lord, I got to repent because this is going to limit my ability to love other people. It's going to limit my ability to minister outside of people in New York. And so I just get, got before the Lord and repented because during that, that time, this was so highlighted to me. And it's been a whole process for me during this whole season of God bringing up pride and, and me having to, to repent and, and come into this posture of humility. Um, and you bring in all that, the current racial tensions that we're facing and, and the, the humble posture that we must take in, in, this, in this area as well. Um, and it's been a season for humility. Um, it really has. And as I begin to look at just even my own marriage, right? And I saw, gosh, you know, 90% of the, the issues that, that Vanessa and I have, of the conflicts, you really can trace back to, to pride. And just, just thinking that I know better and unable to see where she's coming from or listen to her, it really, and I thought, how much more, if pride is so destructive in my marriage, how much more destructive can it be in a nation? And, and so I'm telling you, pride, this, this prideful sort of speech and mentality, it's so mainstream, I believe some, we don't even see it at times. And when we see it, 
and we posture ourselves in humility, we'll be able to see clearly in this hour. So I just want to define humility real quick. What is humility? Definition, low lying, lowly, low in spirit, low, 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 <laughs> humble and lowly. Okay. So at first it's like, whoa, okay. Like, what does that fully mean? Well, if you unpack the word humility a bit more, right? The Greek word is tapinos, and it means being God-reliant other than, rather than self-reliant. Being God-reliant rather than self-reliant. Now we're getting a little closer to, to what that looks like for a believer. Um, so humility means exalting God in his ways and what he's accomplished and what he's doing above your own ways. So he knowing his superiority instead of putting your superiority at the forefront of your life. It's an awareness of our partnership with him. It's an awareness that, that, that we've been saved um, through grace by faith alone in Jesus, it, that central awareness that we, we, we cannot lose, that this is, this is where our, our, our grace comes from. This is where our hope is in. This is our daily, daily we breathe in the grace of God, and sometimes we can forget, um, but we come to this humble posture. We remember what he's done and how little we've brought to the table. So pride and, and, um, is the opposite. It, it's the exalt, it's exalting self. It's a self-centric life. And without even knowledge or understanding of God, how hard is it to not have a self-centric life mentality? And we are freed from that because of the cross, because of our relationship with God through Jesus. Um, but really outside of knowing God, you're, you're really enslaved to a self-centric um, viewpoint of, of your life. What, what more do you have? Um, selfish mentalities, the prideful mentalities, it poisons our mind. It, it impacts our ability to listen and hear one another. It keeps us divided, creates dissension, separation, and this sense of this false sense of superiority. Um, so it, it, it makes it very challenging to have difference of opinions um, when you have pride. It, it causes us um, to really not come to full solutions and um, when we're dealing with problems. You know, we can't see outside of our own, you know, superior knowledge base and viewpoint. And a thing that I see right now in culture that's quite concerning to me, I believe is rooted in pride, is this blame-shame type of um, culture, this blame-shame mentality where it's, if you don't think the way I think, um, or just even a little bit, I'm, I'm going to put you in some category, whatever it may be, um, it could be a political category. It could be, there's lots of categories. It could be, you know, people that view COVID from a, you know, more precautious and people that, you know, view COVID from, they don't care as much. Either way, I'm going to put you in a category and I'm going to shame or blame you based on your difference of opinion. And, and you see this, it's pretty prevalent throughout culture right now. And it's, it's completely not kingdom. It's, it's based in manipulation and control. Um, I don't see any, I don't see Jesus operating in this shame culture in any way. Find me a scripture where Jesus shamed people into, into his morality or into his um, kingdom truths. It's not how he operated. How I see Jesus operating is instead of shaming, he says, follow me. He says, watch what I do. I'm going to model this kingdom. I'm going to follow God and I'm going to model it to you. And that's what's going to bring you along in the journey. 
So it's not that I'm not going to tell, speak truth. Jesus spoke a lot of truth and, and he actually, you know, got angry at times because, you know, people were, were blinded. I mean, he whipped and, you know, chased people out of uh, the temple. That, that's still humility, right? Because he's Jesus. He exemplifies humility. But in this posture of humility, he brought people along because he's, he modeled truth and he spoke it in love. And, and so I think it's so key that we don't buy into this shame culture as, as the church um, and, and certainly just knowing that this is prevalent in our culture and, and not engaging with it ourselves. I think of even as a parent. So those of you that have kids, right, you probably have, I've done this before, uh, tried to sort of uh, create some behavior modification in your kids, shame, control them, manipulate them into doing things that you wanted them to do. Maybe they were good things. They probably were good things. Um, but it doesn't actually lead to transformation in the heart of a child. And it doesn't lead to transformation of people or of nations. When you shame, manipulate, and control people, it, it does not produce good fruit. Um, versus a, a better parenting model that you know Vanessa's taught me is to come from a place of modeling the things, just like Jesus, modeling the values, the love of Christ, and, and speaking the truth, but not controlling, manipulating, letting kids make their own decisions, but modeling it to them and teaching and training them up in righteousness versus demanding and, and telling them they must operate this way because this is right and this is good. That doesn't produce real change. And what we need is a transformed heart. That's, we need people's hearts to be transformed to see the racial injustices that we're dealing with actually solved. We need people's hearts transformed to actually come together and not divide over politics, over COVID strategies. We, we need changed hearts. And, and we're not gonna get that by putting all our trust in social movements. It's the gospel leading to social change, not social change leading onto itself. The gospel, Jesus Christ himself, is where we actually can get transformation, can be free from ourselves, and can, and can learn to love one another and not divide. So it, it has to be in that order. Gospel, social change. Not social change with a little bit of gospel and a few things mixed in. That's not going to solve the issues we see in our nation. And so it, it seems like a small point, but it's actually a, a massive one at how we view what's going on. It's actually, it, it's ignorant and arrogant for us to think that we can create social movements, that humanistic ideas can produce real change. And, and that's where God, we just, we say, we want our, we want our land to be healed. We, we come humbly, we come praying and worshiping and, and fasting and whatever we feel we need to do because action is important. Action must happen. Prayer is action. Worship is action. And if we're not doing those things, we're really saying it's up to us. Like we're just going to have to, we're going to do this we're, as a culture, society, we're going to improve and we're going to be better. And, and I know that that is a recipe for disaster because the Bible shows us the condition of the human heart. And, and humanism itself, one of the, I think, the real lies of humanism is that, you know, people have this inherent goodness, that when given certain choices, they're going to choose good, right things. And I would say, yes, we're made in the image of God. That's why there's a sense of goodness even in us. But our hearts are actually prone to wickedness and deceit. And, that, and, and that's where you talk, um, Jul, Juliana and Tammy, they spoke so much about having that plumb line of truth, understanding the Word of God. Well, the Word of God tells us about the human heart and our condition, and, and that is more true than what we hear espoused on you know, mainstream um, 
media or mainstream thinking. So let's get into what the word says about, about the posture, of, about where our heart is at. Um, and it's Jeremiah 17, verse 9. It says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind, even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings. So, I mean, that's pretty darn humbling to know the deceitfulness of our heart. And that's why we needed, we've needed Christ to come and give us these new hearts. We need to be new creations in Christ. And just because we're new creations does not mean that we're not prone to, to our fleshly desires, to these lustful passions that the heart you know, has been prone to since sin corrupted the world and it corrupted the human heart. So th- this, this creates a sense of humility, an understanding of our need for God, of our spiritual bankruptcy um, that actually gives us a place to, to come before the Lord and not think we can just do it on our own. Um, 2 Timothy, I want to read from 2 Timothy chapter 3, and this is how Paul describes um, how things will look in the last days. And this just gives you a picture of what, what a deceptive, wicked human heart can actually do. Um, so this is a quite humbling scripture. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. But know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. And from such people turn away. That's an intense scripture. But look how it starts. Men will be lovers of themselves. That is, that is pride to the core. That is a self-centric mentality. And you see how destructive it is. And, and he's writing this about the last days. And the people, he's saying, will have a form of godliness, but deny its power. So conceivably, these are people in the church having a form of godliness, but un, denying its power, unable to actually deliver on, on the kingdom truths on bring, being moral and loving and all the things that Christ asks us to be because we have pride. We're trying to do it on our own instead of doing it with him. And, and so, so anyway, this, it's quite humbling for me and, and it reveals how blind we can be to our own human condition. Um, so pride, the thing about pride is it, it's so blinding. It's a very blinding thing. And you think about some of the most, most prideful people in the Bible with the most blinded people in the Bible. So you look at the Pharisees. Um, they were by far the, most, the proudest people I can think of in the New Testament. And Jesus railed against their teaching more than anybody else. I mean, so a huge part of the Gospels is Jesus really debunking these, these religious leaders and the lies that they were espousing that were rooted in pride. So I want to read from Luke 18. And here's a parable that Jesus told to, to the Pharisees, directed towards them, just to give some context for the pride, self-righteous attitudes of the Pharisees that we must not associate with in the present era. Luke 18, chapter 9. Also, he spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. 
I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all I possess. And the tax collector, standing afar off, um, would not even as much raise his eyes to heaven, but he beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man, I tell you, this man went down to his home justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. This parable must have turned people on their heads during Jesus' time. Because the tax collectors are very frowned upon, right? They're doing they're 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 stealing money, they're doing just terrible things in society, they're not viewed you know well. And and now you have the Pharisees who are viewed more highly the religious tithing, doing the right things. So Jesus is making a very firm point of, of the blindedness that pride produces, where, you know, the posture he's looking for is that of the tax collector. God, I'm a sinner. God, I come before you. I need you. I need you. And that's the posture in this hour that's so key for us to be in. God, we need you. Father, come heal our land. God, come expose any pride or deceit in us that we could be rightly positioned to fulfill your purposes in this hour. So that's the posture that we're called to be in. Now, Jesus, he also mentions um, the Pharisees as having uh, this, the yeast, this yeast, the, the leaven of the Pharisees and of Herod. And you think about yeast, it gets into um, to dough and it spreads throughout. And what he's talking about is this pervasive corruption that is hidden within the Pharisees that really is rooted in pride, self-righteousness, hypocrisy. Um, so this he refers to as the yeast of the Pharisees and of Herod. So how many of you know this, this yeast, this, this corruption, it's not just the religious leaders, it's also now the political leaders. It's, it's so many different leaders, right? They're engaging with this sort of prideful behavior and, and it shows the corruption in their hearts that sin has done. And we cannot associate with sort, this sort of mentality. This is not for the men and women of God. Now, John the Baptist, he comes on the scene, right? And he preaches a baptism of repentance. And you see how these two characters, Herod and the Pharisees, respond to this baptism of repentance. Um, so we're going to uh, read about that in Luke 7, starting at verse 28. And here's what it says. I tell you, among those born of women, no one is greater than John. Yet the least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. And all the people who heard this, including the tax collectors, acknowledge the justice of God because they'd been baptized with John's baptism. That's a baptism of repentance. But by refusing to be baptized by him, the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected God's purpose for themselves. So John comes with a baptism of repentance. He's ushering in. He's the Elijah, the voice calling out in the wilderness, ushering in Jesus about to come onto the scene. And that baptism of repentance was missed by the Pharisees because of the pride in their heart. They couldn't repent. If we're struggling with repentance, if we're struggling with, to forgive, it, it shows that there, there could be pride that is blocking you, that's blocking me, from, from posturing ourselves in that way. And this pride was so destructive, right, that the Pharisees, who had more knowledge of the Bible and the Scriptures than anyone else, their knowledge didn't even matter because of the pride in their heart. They couldn't even see Christ, who all the Scriptures was referring to. They couldn't even see Him because of the pride that was in their heart. And you look at Herod himself, who also, in the leaven of Herod, the yeast of Herod, 
Herod, like, threw John in prison and actually had him killed. He also couldn't receive this baptism of repentance, couldn't see Christ because of the pride in his own heart. Family, we, we have to be so aware of this pride. It will distort us. It will keep us from seeing what God is doing and keep us from being aware. In this season, God is going to be doing some things already is that just feels offensive that we don't understand. And I want to be so aware of what he's up to. And pride will blind us from being aware. And, and that, that scares me. I don't want that for myself. I don't want that for you. I don't want us to be disillusioned like the Pharisees were in that hour. I want us to see God and see what he's doing and be connected with it. So what do, what do we do about pride? I, I, I really, I listed three things. I have three things to share today about what we do when we see pride in our life. And the first one is we do not tolerate it. We do not tolerate pride. The world celebrates pride. The world does not see an issue, I, I don't think, um, with pride. But in, in the body of Christ, we don't tolerate it. We see it and we, we go to war against it because we know it will destroy and corrupt and blind us. And one of the things we have to be really concerned about or aware of is parroting pride. So parroting pride, I believe, is a real problem um, across the country. Um, I made up this term, but I, I've seen myself do it. So I was in a conversation with Vanessa a few months ago. I don't even remember the context of it, but I remember sharing something with her, being very upset. Uh, it was some sort of injustice that I was that I'd heard about, and I was very upset. And 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 she was saying, "I've never heard you talk with such sincerity and and emotion around this. Like, can you help me understand where this is coming from?" And I realized. I was parroting something I'd heard on a podcast. I myself was not even fully connected to what I was sharing. I was sharing with the same fervor that that person had, but I hadn't brought it to the Lord. I hadn't like actually dialogued with the Lord and, and, and even understood myself how I felt. I was just parroting something and it was actually rooted in pride. And so I think we had to be really careful um, about what we're listening to and discerning where, where there's pride in even what we're saying and that we're not repeating um, those things because they are destructive and, and they will deceive us. Um, Proverbs 8, verse 13. This verse says, The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Okay, that makes sense. It's so key that we fear the Lord and the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Got it. Second part, pride and arrogance and the evil way and the perverse mouth I hate. When we fear the Lord, hating evil makes a lot of sense. But pride and arrogance are the next tier. That's literally the next statement of the proverb. The way we hate evil, we should equally hate pride and arrogance. It, it will destroy the body. It will bring division in our house and a lack of clarity in our minds. So that's number one. We do not tolerate pride. Number two, we embrace humility. We say humility is the way to go. Humility is not weak, it's strong. Humility doesn't make me unable to share truth. It actually brings me to the table where I can hear other people and I can better articulate the things that God's placed on my heart. It doesn't mean that we're quiet or we just get run over. It means that we come able to listen and hear and learn and grow um, and, and, don't and don't come with this false sense of superiority. And I understand everything and here's how it needs to be done and you're in this group and you're in that group and don't you wish you were in my group like that that humble posture we must embrace um first peter chapter five i'm going to read 
um, uh, starting in verse 5. Likewise, you younger people, submit yourself to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your cares upon him, for he cares for you. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks around like a roaring lion, seeking to whom he may devour. Resist him, steadfast in faith, knowing the same sufferings he experienced or experienced by your brotherhood in the world. But may the God of grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. This is such a good scripture. There's like so much in here, and I'll unpack it very quickly. First part, submitting ourselves to one another and to our elders. This is the posture of humility. Submitting ourselves to God, but also to those that he's placed over us. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. I don't want to position myself to, to, to be resisted by God, or other uh, scriptures say to be opposed by God. I want to stay humble. That, that, that's scary to be in a place of opposition or resistance to God, and we're not going to win, okay? That's a problem. Um, if we keep going down, the, the, the humble are exalted, and those that are exalted are humbled. And so when we humble ourselves, God will exalt us. And that the posture of humbling, if you look at verse 7, is actually casting your cares on Him. It's not trying to do things by ourselves on our own strength. It's putting that, it's giving those things to Him. And what that produces in verse 10 is that we, we will now receive His strength. We'll be perfected and established and strengthened in God. We can run this race. We can see transformation of our nation. We can see, we can see real, real healing when we operate on God's strength. And to, and to operate with His strength is to come from a posture of humility to receive that rest and to cast our cares on Him. So that's how we also run the long haul is this posture of humility. We must embrace it. Um, I believe as we're gonna, that the, the most, there's leaders God's raising up in this hour and our, our level of humility will determine our leadership capability. I really believe that. I'll say again, our level of humility will determine our leadership capability. Humble leaders is what are needed in this hour. If we don't humble ourselves, we won't be able to lead. We won't be able to take things where God um, is having us take. We won't be able to really bring, um, bring the unity and, and, and the gospel and, and righteousness and justice. I really believe we'll be blinded to those things if we're not in a posture of unity. Um, or humility, rather. So, number one, do not tolerate pride. Number two, embrace humility. Number three, pursue unity. A lot of these things with pride, it's, it's the enemy trying to distort and disconnect the body of Christ. I believe that the body of Christ is going to be more unified in this season than ever before, which doesn't make a whole lot of sense on paper, but it makes a lot of sense given the God that we serve and given we're all connected with the Holy Spirit, hearing from the Spirit, joining together, loving, rallying around each other, being aware of not only what God is saying, but what our brothers and sisters are experiencing, being connected with their hurt and their pain. We must pursue unity in this hour. It's part of, it's part of how God is going to counter these, this, this attack from the enemy. And, and I, 
And I just want to leave you with this. You know, Jules mentioned this a, a, a while back. She talked about how she felt it was even prophetic that we were putting on these masks during COVID-19. And I want to encourage you, when you put on your mask today, tomorrow, whenever you put it on, would you view it as the cloak of humility? So that in that verse in First Peter, it talks about being clothed in humility. When you put it on, say, God, would you clothe me in humility? God, I want to go out. I want to be, be slow to speak. I want to be... I want to be so loving and serving of those around me and not come with a place of pride or thinking I'm superior, I understand things. God, I want to be clothed in your humility today. When we do that, the gospel of God is going to be, the gospel of Jesus is going to be so obvious to people. It's a different posture. It's a different spirit. And they're going to want to know what we know. And they're going to want to know about Jesus, this living, loving, beautiful God in which there is no darkness, just light. And I, I really believe that that cloak of humility, keep, keep that in mind as you go out every day because there's a lot of messages that are, that are, not, that are not promoting humility. And, and, but when we stay in the Word, we stay connected to each other and to God, we can walk in this. We really can. We are new creations in Christ. The old is gone, the new has come. Let us pray. Jesus, we want to see you rightly in this hour. Give us the posture of humility. Give us clean hands and a pure heart, that you would cleanse us from any deceitfulness in our hearts. God, remove any blinders of pride from our eyes. God, increase our capacity to see what you are doing. Increase our capacity to see our brothers and sisters, to mourn with those who mourn, to rejoice with those who rejoice. God, increase our capacity to be unified in Christ, that we be unified together, that the gospel would go forth in how we love one another, that, that righteousness and justice would manifest in our nation and all the nations of the earth, that the world would know that you, Jesus, are good and that your love endures forever and ever. Amen. And God bless you and your family during this time. Thank you all for tuning in. If you would like to receive prayer, we are going to have the prayer lines open uh, right after this short time of worship. So you'll see a link in the YouTube chat box. Click on that link. Head over to the prayer lines. We would love to pray with you today. God bless you all, and thanks again.